Welcome to Dig This, a podcast about using archaeology, heritage, and business to do some good in this world. I'm Jenny. And I'm Amanda. Join us in a guest or two as we reevaluate and decolonize our work, our relationships, and our values. We're recording from the unceded territory of the Shimshan Nation, the Kitsilis people in Terrace, BC and also recording from Bowser, BC. In the beautiful unceded territory of the Qualicum First Nation. Uh, hey, Amanda. Hey, Jenny. How's it going? Oh, it's hot. It's so hot. <laughs> I'm shining. I'm shimmering in the heat right now. Why are you so hot? I'm Irish. I can't do this. I live in a, <laughs> from a northern climate. <laughs> <laughs> this is downright tropical for me right now. It's 26 degrees. It's hot. Wow. I wish we were having the same heat wave uh, in Terrace. <laughs> it's it's just raining. Yeah, no, I would take the rain. I'm I'm a I'm a rainy day cat these days. Yeah, it's interesting what the weather's doing right now. And it's it's early June. So it's yeah, over the next couple of weeks we'll have to see how it how it plays out. But I was here in, I think it was 2007. Uh, I could be wrong about that date, but we had a close to 100 year flood that year. Mm -hmm. And it was because of like heavy rains, heavy snowpack, and then it just warmed up. And so all that snowpack started melting following like some spring rains. And so all of the creeks just swelled right up and then the Skeena flooded. Huh. So I'm watching my creek out back here very carefully. It's one of the yeah. highest I've ever seen it. Wow. Yeah. And then I guess the next couple of weeks will tell us kind of what kind of wildfire season we're going to have too. Yeah. Yeah. That's something we'll have to keep a close eye on. Yeah. Which Tony is definitely keeping an eye on. But that's um, not what we're here to talk about today. No, we're talking about something else. Very serious. We're all here. We've gathered here today to talk about death. <laughs> Why the hell do so many archaeologists have near-death stories in the field? Why? Yeah. And it's it's good that we have lots of near-death stories. <laughs> right. It would be very difficult to do a podcast episode about it <laughs> if all we had were death stories. <laughs> Yes, uh, I can only think of one death story that I know of mm. in Canada. Yeah. So I think we we have a risky lifestyle, and the work that we do is is often risky. But I think we try our best to do our work as safely as possible. Absolutely. We all want to get home at the end of the day, but sometimes we don't know what we're going out to. And I will say that our discipline has gotten a lot safer in recent years, which everybody wins from, but it hasn't always been as safe as it is now. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm, we're taking a light approach to today's topic because we, we, you know, we, we try and tackle some really tough topics in this podcast, but we also want to have a bit of fun with it as well. And we also want to give a bit of a, a fun primer to folks who are new to archaeology or considering getting into it or who are going to a cocktail party this weekend and want to have some material. Wait a minute, it's COVID. You won't be going to a cocktail party this weekend, <laughs> but maybe you're going to a virtual cocktail party this weekend. <laughs> 
That sounds kind of fun. <laughs> oh my goodness. So uh, yes, we want to keep it deliberately light while also being respectful um, that, you know, we're not condoning folks getting hurt or um, anything like that. We're just trying to keep it a bit light. And before we get into it, I just wanted to explain that my children are here um, working from home and my- Wait, your my children house. are working from home? What is it? Banking? <laughs> legal? What, what are we doing these days? What's What empire is Jackson? They're, they're chopping firewood. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, but yeah, the, I do have um, the odd interruption. So I'll just apologize ahead of time if that happens, or if you hear any noises in the background. Okay. Maybe they have some near death stories they can talk about. I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Good good answer. I was hoping that you would say that. Not like, oh yeah, I can think of a couple that just happened this past weekend. Um, Okay. So (laughs) we were thinking about this topic and the one, the first, I'm going to just laugh this entire episode. One of the first that I think of actually happened together uh, oh. In the very early days. I knew you were going to talk about this. Because <laughs> I always talk about this one because <laughs> it might be the only near-death experience we've had together, even though we were on different sides of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I think it I think it might be. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to kick it off? I'll kick it off, but I want to hear your your <laughs> recollection of the story. And you tell it so well. Okay. So if I'm, if I'm correct in the one you're, you're thinking of, it was our, I think one of our first projects together and yeah. it, was, it was you and I and Amanda Palmer mm-hmm. and we had a crew of, I can't remember, five was, or six First Nations. It was big. It was a really big crew. From the Shimshan group, there was some Melikatla and Lakalams members out there and we were doing a survey on Mount McDonald near Prince Rupert. Which we should say, the mountain is on an uninhabited island (laughs) off the coast of Prince Rupert. And it was winter. And the client was really eager for us to get out there and get this survey done, which was why we were trying to do it before winter. And we were a startup business. So we weren't, you know, necessarily being as discerning with our projects that we were taking on at the time. Well, and I think we were just a little bit naive to the fact that it, even though it wasn't winter where, where we could see it, it was winter up on the top of the mountain already. (laughs) (laughs) We hadn't factored that in. And then we found out about it very quickly. Okay. So let's, let's hear your recollection of the story. Okay. So I think I had four crew members with me. And because it was such a large area, we had divided into teams where Amanda was leading one team. I was leading one team. Amanda Palmer was leading another team. I'm sure Amanda Palmer is listening to this going, that's not how I remember it, but this is how I remember it. And so uh, we were doing helicopter work. So the helicopter was dropping us off in different places. And I don't know who got like the highest area. I feel like it was me, but I have no idea if that was true. But I do know that we had kicked the survival bag out of the helicopter before we landed so that it was nearby. So we have these survival bags that are in uh, dry bags. And back then, we used to have everything that you would need for survival, including cigarettes and whiskey, um, blankets and food and water, all within these dry bags that if we were going into areas where we could potentially get stranded, we would have things that we would need to get through the night for ourselves and our crew. So we had kicked it out the door. um, And And there's no way we would have whiskey in the 
in the survival bag today. But but back then we thought that was smart. It was smart because we felt that we were, you know, 1820s fur trappers and we were going to need to barter our way out of a sticky situation on the old trail. So anyway... So we drop the survival bag out and then the pilot's trying to find a place for us to land. And I think that, I think the, we were, I think, it, I can't remember if it was the same crew or pardon me. I can't remember if it was the same heli pilot dropping us all off. Like, were we all in the helicopter and just like, like jumping out the door or was it, was he going back and forth? So the way I remember it, Jenny, was we had one helicopter and we couldn't all fit in the helicopter That's- at once. So I think you and your crew got dropped off at the top of the mountain and Manda and, and I and our crew got dropped off in another area and Manda and I had planned on splitting up and taking oh, two different routes right. down down <laughs> the mountain and we were looking for culturally modified trees. Right. And so I was with the smaller crew on my own at the higher elevation. <laughs> now it's all coming back to me. And so the pilot had dropped us off, uh, my crew, and we were in kind of, we were at the top of the mountain, but there was like a pond or a small lake and kind of as the pilot pulled away and everything's covered in lots of snow, like thigh high snow. And as the pilot's pulling away, like a whiteout came in. So we immediately couldn't see across that little lake or pond. And I was like, gosh, are we going to keep doing this survey? Or are we going to get out of here? And it's just a whited out blizzard. And we are kilometers, kilometers, kilometers from anywhere. And then right around then, the pilot comes in on my radio and he says, the ceiling's dropped. I can't come back. You're going to have to hike out of there. And I was like, we're on an <laughs> island. If you can explain to me how to hike off an island, I am all ears. But anyway, I didn't say that. I just was cool as can be, cool as a cucumber. And I said, okay. Like, fuck the survey. That is not happening today. We are just committing the rest of the day to like getting below the ceiling. And so um, we just started hiking and it's super treacherous, super treacherous terrain. And we hiked for eight hours through this snow. People are getting cut. We're, we're sliding down embankments. And then I think we had gotten into radio contact with your team and Manda's team. And we were all starting to converge at this old abandoned cannery. Yeah. Right. So we had made our way. There's this old railway track. We finally made it down to the water level. We're below the ceiling. It's been hours and hours. We're exhausted. We're frozen. And we get down to the old cannery. We pop out of the bush onto the railway track. And one of the guys on the team looks on the railroad track and he's like, wolves. <laughs> right. And we were like, you're kidding me today. Of course, there's a pack of wolves. And so we like r- go to the cannery and then these, I guess, squatters were staying, <laughs> were staying there. And so then they roam out. So we see like these disheveled people wandering out of this abandoned building. There's wolves the other direction. And then they told us it was just their giant wolf like dogs. Um, <laughs> but it was terrifying. Uh, so that's one time that we almost died. <laughs> Yeah, and I remember uh, we couldn't get you on the radio for a while, so we didn't yeah. know if you were alive. You probably didn't know if we were alive. And Manda and I, when we had originally planned on taking separate routes down the mountain, we immediately hit like a uh, drop off, and it was like like a sheer cliff that we didn't anticipate, and there was no way we were getting down. So we we ended up coming back together. 
and staying together. And then we followed down this drainage um, very carefully. And yeah, it took hours and every step of the way was slippery. And I remember at one point, Manda went flying down. She dropped like, I don't know, six feet or so. And she, her reaction was to put her arm up and grab a tree. And yeah. from that, she pulled something in her rib cage. Right. And she was quite sore after that for a while. <sighs> but we all survived. We all survived. And here we are talking about it. Um, another one that comes to mind, I don't know if it's a near death, but it was certainly ridiculous, uh, was <laughs> I think we were working near Prince George. And I was trying to load that damn king quad onto the back of the truck. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. I almost pooped my pants. So um, well, I was trying to load this uh, like quad, like an ATV into the back of this truck. My first mistake, this is a, a cautionary tale. My first mistake was I hadn't positioned the truck properly. I should have sunk the wheels like into um, a, like a, a divot in the ground or something to make it lower because our trucks are quite high. Um, but instead we had this really steep ramp and I wasn't very experienced at loading quads either. It was the end of the day, I was tired. And this is a really powerful quad. And I just gave it way too much oomph to get up that ramp. And what happened was I became completely airborne and almost went over the front of the truck, but landed on the headache rack, which is that steel rack kind of behind the cab. And then miraculously bounced back, still riding that quad like a rodeo star and landed back <laughs> in the bed of the truck. And there's like five people watching me do this. Yeah, we were all watching you. <laughs> Very entertaining. Uh, it could have gone, gone poorly because I, I I know of another archaeologist that did the exact same thing and had, you know, long-term injuries from it. I don't know what possessed you to hit the throttle the way you did. Instead know. of like, or maybe it just, you didn't realize it was going to take off like a rocket. I just wasn't thinking. I think I was tired and just wanting to get the quad loaded to go home. Yeah. And I, I think it was the, um, there was like a, a toolbox that we had oh, yeah. mounted in the oh, back yeah. of the truck. Yeah. It was brand new, like literally <laughs> brand new. And that's what saved your life was like hitting that box. It was an aluminum box, kind of like cushioned the blow from you um, riding right up into the, <laughs> the truck. I don't know if you would have rammed into the back window and the headache rack. Or if, or if the quad would have continued to go up into the air and do a 360, um, I don't know what would have happened. I, but. I don't know. I've been scared of loading quads ever since. I'll have to get, I'll have to get back on that horse one day. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I can't think of any other ones when we were together. I think those were the only ones that come to mind too when we were together, but I have a few others that I can think of. Yeah, same. I have ones from outside BC as well. Um, can I tell one? Yeah. Okay. So this was a story that involved our staff. So not myself directly, but it would have impacted both Jenny and I very deeply if some of our staff members had been killed that day. Um. I'm trying to remember the, the full details of the story, but 
from what I recall, so this was some work we were doing in Prince Rupert. And we had a number of staff that were out in the field that day and they were doing some helicopter work. And at, at the end of the day, we get a, a phone call from one of our staff, one of the field supervisors explaining what happened. And I remember as I was listening to the story, I just like my jaw dropped. I was like, oh man, this is so bad. I'm glad you guys are okay. It was a near-death experience for a number of people. Um, not only our staff, but the First Nations that were there and the pilot of the helicopter. So what happened was they were out working remotely using helicopter to get to and from the project area. And the pilot had said to the crew that he didn't want anyone getting in the machine wearing cork boots. And cork boots are very particular uh, footwear that we use when we're working on the Northwest coast. And they're, they're kind of like rubber boots, but they have steel toes and they have these spikes on the bottom. It's what loggers use to, to get around. And it allows you to like stick to the, stick to the forest better. So crew weren't allowed to wear their cork boots in the machine because it, it wrecks the, the floor and um, they don't like it when you step on the skids of the helicopter. So what some of the staff were doing, they were um, taking their cork boots off, putting on a, a, like a separate set of footwear, and then um, just changing their, changing their footwear as needed. But there was a few people in the group that were tired of doing that, and they asked the pilot if they could just construct a little step out of wood that they would set on the skid that would allow them to get in and out um, without scratching the skid of the helicopter. So the skid is the little like kind of um, like the, legs. I don't know, the legs of the machine that, that hold it up off the ground. So for whatever reason, uh, the pilot agreed and they were doing this. They'd put this block of wood down, everyone would get in um, and the, the last person to get into the machine, it was their responsibility to pick up this block of wood and bring it inside the machine with them. At the end of the day, everyone was tired and the person responsible for picking up this block of wood forgot. So they flew back uh, about maybe half hour, 40 minutes. They were flying through the air with this block of wood on the skid and nobody knew it was there. And uh, just before they were about to land at the hangar, I guess it was when the machine went to slow down and then drop down, the block of wood, just because of the change in air pressure, it flew off the helicopter, hit the side of the machine, and then ricocheted into the tail of the helicopter. And everyone on the machine kind of heard this like bunk, <laughs> but didn't know what it was. And then, the machine kind of started acting uh, difficult for the pilot and he didn't know what was happening, but he somehow managed to land it safely. And I can't imagine what, what that would have looked like or what that would have felt like for the people in the machine. But uh, yeah, that was, that was crazy. If that helicopter had crashed, it probably would have taken the lives of everyone in that machine. Yeah. 
I'm like, I'm, I'm, as you're talking, and I've heard this story before, obviously, my palms have gotten sweaty. Oh, like, holy shit. It's as terrifying. Uh, and particularly, like, if, if folks have ever ridden, ridden in helicopters, they're pretty fragile machines. And there's a whole bunch of protocols for being around them. And you can't, you know, you have to be really gentle with them and distribute your weight. The last thing you need is like a rogue piece of wood ricocheting down the back and going into a tail rotor. It's like almost a guaranteed re- recipe for mass destruction. Um, I've also had, you know, not very glamorous, but multiple times I've had dysentery in the field, which I know I mentioned last time when I was working in Belize, but I also had it while working in Jordan. I also have had a number of automatic weapons pointed at me. Um, so So when I was working in Belize at this really excellent site called Minanha. We had gone to Guatemala to this island town of Flores um, (laughs) to just have the weekend off, right? So to go there and I was hanging out with my really good friend, Jay, and we were just cruising around. I think we were looking for hammocks, but we had somehow split up and we, so I was by myself trying to find this hammock store. And so it's just like a little alleyway and with like little doors into stores. And so it felt like that scene in Goodfellas when Karen is meeting Jimmy and Jimmy says, yeah, Karen, keep going down the alley. Yeah, there's fur coats down there. Just keep going down to that door. That's the one you want to be in. But (laughs) so that was me going down this alley. I'm like, the guy told me the hammock store is down here. I'm just going to keep going. And then I got to the door that I thought it was. And I like, you know, confidently opened the door into some sort of meeting between a bunch of Guatemalan men. But the terrifying part was the 14 year old looking boy who lowered his shotgun at me as I came through the door. And I was like, wow. not the hammock store. So sorry. And just like backed out of there so slowly. (laughs) Terrifying. There was also the time I was working in Jordan and had a bunch of students with me. We were doing field trips. So we had this like coach bus and we were, um, you know, driving throughout Jordan, going to these different sites. And we were down in the Dead Sea Valley and the bus broke down. And so the bus broke down and no one was coming for a really long time to fix it. So I just said to the students, you know, just go out and like explore a little, stay close to the bus. We're in the middle of the desert. Don't go far. Um, Just, you know, you know, we're going to be here for a while, stay in the shade, have lots of water, but, you know, make the most of it. And I guess without realizing it, I should have told them to wander east and not west Because Mm. what happened was they went over the Israeli border and within a matter of minutes, we had fully armed Israeli defense force trucks showing up, pointing their automatic weapons from from the backs of trucks at us. And they're all like, the students are all looking at me and I'm going, okay, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Big mistake. (laughs) Lesson learned. Okay, everyone back on the Jordanian side really quick. Get over here. Yella, yella, get over here. And uh, so anyway, that was another um, wild time that was involved automatic weapons. I don't think I've been in a situation involving 
automatic weapons. Oh, oh you haven't had a run-in with the Israeli defense no. plan? No. force? That's so weird. <laughs> I finally found the place we don't connect. Did you guys have that on your, your morning tailgate? Um, <laughs> the borders close by? Okay, so also working in Jordan, because I worked in Jordan for a number of years, uh, being a teacher, teaching assistant for the University of Toronto. And we, one year that I was there, we were working on this really excellent early Bronze Age fortification wall. So it was, you know, probably five meters high, five meters wide, like wide enough to sit and have your lunch on with a number of people. And being the desert, it would dry out. So we would be in there digging in this big hole. So it was a five meter by five meter hole, about five meters deep. And it had all these like stone columns and thresholds and stuff from the building that was there. And so as the director, um, I would want to make sure it was safe for everyone. So we had lot because the deeper we dug, the deeper we went. And so we had ladders to climb back up out of this big five meter by five meter hole where, and then we could get out of the site by walking along the top of the fortification wall. But being the desert, it was really dry and dusty. So we would work there all day. We would be exposing all this kind of wet dirt and it would dry out overnight. And so every morning I would go in with my trusty piece of rebar and kind of poke, you know, very scientifically poke at the sides of this hole, the bulks to see if anything was going to fall out. That's when I wanted it to fall out before students got in there. Right. Uh, and, and before I know people are listening, going, Oh, Jenny, you should know better shoring. You should have had shoring. Let me tell all of you, you try and get shoring in Jordan. It's a completely different animal. I knew we should have had shoring. I was lucky if I could get a rubber basin, like I, you know, there was limitations to where we were. And so that was my test. And so we're working away. So I give the students the okay, we're working away, the students all pile in, we had about eight or 10 students in this five by five meter hole. And all of a sudden, we hear like rumbling. And I was like, immediately like, holy shit, one of these walls is coming down a huge amount of earth. And so I ran for <laughs> I'm laughing about it now but I ran for that um for that ladder and I didn't even go up the ladder I climbed the wall like lickety split right up to the top of the fortification wall and this entire five meter by five meter wall is coming down and I turn and look and I can't, I know and I cannot figure out but all the students were just staring at me from the hole like, what do we do? And I was just like, save yourselves. I can't help all of you. Like climb, climb, climb. And so they all, they were just scrambling. And honestly, it really was like something out of Indiana Jones because this ain't like this ancient, it just collapsed and it was terrifying and we all made it up, but it was, it would have been devastating for sure. Bad. Wow. I don't know what to say. It was bad, bad news. Shoring, shoring's a great thing. We'll have to bring it in with us next time. <laughs> yeah. What's what's in that suitcase, ma'am? Um, <laughs> some <story>. plywood. <laughs> Just some plywood. <laughs> um, yeah, and what was I thinking? I wasn't even thinking about my life passing before my eyes. I was thinking about the litigation that was surely coming my way <laughs> from all these students' parents. Oh, man. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> That is crazy. I had not heard that story before. Mm -hmm. It was a good one. But I guess in B when you're working in BC, you can't have a hole that's deeper than, no. is it two meters? 
Yeah, it has to be like a ratio of seven or something like that. Vertical by your horizontal. So there's a whole ratio for it. I have a story. So this will be my my last near-death story that I can recall. There may have been more, but this is one that really stands out in mind for me because I almost considered quitting archaeology after this. It was that scary. Uh, I was... I was a new mom at the time. So Jackson was just a baby and I was doing some work again in the Prince Rupert area. <laughs> it's gotta be something to do with that area. That it's we, just should like, have, we should have learned. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going out with a large crew. There was, I think there was about 13 of us there that day. And we were helicoptering into this location and we were going to be doing some shovel testing and we were all sticking together in this one area and it was it was quite remote and it was near the ocean so we had to be mindful of the tides and the helicopter had to kind of they call it a tow in so when they tow in to land they can't fully land and shut down the machine they can only just kind of put the skid on something to kind of brace it and then the machine's still running and everyone carefully gets out and so it's like a hot exit is what they call it and we're all well practiced in doing that so that was that was safe and then that was fine um but where we were working was kind of a constrained area so there was a i think there was like a cliff with a mountain rising up behind us and there was another kind of large hill to the other side. And we all got out of the machine and then the machine left and had to pick up the remaining crew members and then came back and dropped them off. And while we were getting prepared, people were putting on their boots, getting their gear organized. Um, we did that. And then the machine, the machine fully left and he had to, the pilot had to go and park on the beach somewhere else where close by where he could safely land and wait for us. So we, we had radio contact with the pilot, thankfully, and we hiked up this little um, kind of, it was maybe about a five meter hike up in elevation to get to the landform that we were going to be testing. And we all started digging holes and doing, doing what we do as archaeologists. And we had with us that day what we call a wildlife monitor. Actually, we had two wildlife monitors that day because there was two crews. So we had one fellow who stood on the hill and one fellow who stood by the, the mountain behind us. Um, not very far away from us, maybe 20 or 30 meters away from us. And their job was to solely look out for any signs of wildlife. And we talked about it the morning tailgate, you know, like there's potential for wildlife and that's why the, the wildlife monitors were there. So we all started working and when we're working, we're typically got our heads down, we're digging in the, in the dirt and um, people are talking, but it's otherwise fairly quiet. And we're really focused on our work. And then all of a sudden, one of the wildlife monitors yells out, bear. <laughs> Like he yells it really loudly, bear. 
Which and, is great because that is what he's supposed to do. Yeah. And he wasn't kidding. He, he was legit. Um, <laughs> he wasn't there. just like yelling it. And then, so we all stopped, pa- kind of paused and we're like, what? And then he yells out, fucking bear. <laughs> no, wait, it's two bears. They're grizzlies. They're coming for us. Why am I I'm getting out this my is, gun? This is nervous laughter. What's happening here. I'm getting my gun out. So he's kind of like talking us through like what his thought process was. And this guy was, he was on it and he was, um, ex-military guy. So, uh, when he, he saw these bears coming at him, he, he, he really had to, his brain had to go into action as to what to do. And normally we, we don't like to shoot at bears. Um, what they like to do is shoot off. They call it a blank. So it's just more like a banger. So it'll it'll fire a shot and then that'll hopefully deter the bear from coming. And I think he shot off a banger and we heard it. Um, meanwhile, we kind of all just sort of stood up and huddled together. We, we decided to come together and we got our bear sprays out, but we didn't really know what to do because <laughs> there was nowhere to run or nowhere to go. Not that you would run from a bear anyway, but Um, It all happened really quickly. And some of the crew actually saw the bear. I didn't, I didn't see it, thankfully, or I might have nightmares. But yeah, so our wildlife monitor is yelling out, I'm gonna shoot, I'm gonna fire. And he, he actually had to shoot at one of the bears. So his intention was to wound the bear. He, He told us this after he didn't want to kill it. Um, so I think he fired a shot and then another shot. So there was the blank and then two shots. And, and then the bears at that point, the bear that was shot decided to, um, I think it, it kind of like dropped and rolled down the hill a little ways. And then he couldn't see where it went. Like at that point, there's two grizzly bears in the vicinity nobody knows where they are and now they're and now they're pissed off and they're really mad yeah they're fucking angry because they've just been shot at so we get on the radio and uh we're calling the pilot we're like get the fuck back over here we're all gonna die and then we had to go through that exercise of deciding who should go into the helicopter first (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> in today's philosophy 101 class we're going to argue the merits of who goes in the who, whose life is worth more everyone was really good about it like there wasn't anyone that panicked and started punching people and the, and if you think about it like the machine was parked a ways away and it was cooled off so the pilot had to fire the machine up and it takes it takes about I don't know five or ten minutes to kind of get it going so the pilot got back over and towed in. Um, at this point, like the the sea level had had risen um, just from the tide, so it, it was harder to get the the machine to tow in. But the pilot managed to. If it had been any later, it would have been maybe impossible for the helicopter to come and get us. Oh man, it was so scary that. I don't know, maybe it was like 20 minutes of my life where I thought we were all going to get eaten by these two grizzly bears. <laughs> Saving grace was that we had the wildlife monitors there and they had guns. Um, 
and we weren't just stuck there with bear spray because I, I fully believe to this day, if we hadn't had them there, we wouldn't have had that person looking out for us to, to see that the bears were coming and they were coming at a full run, like a gallop towards us. There was no, of like kind of them coming at us caution cautiously like who what are these people doing it was a I'm coming in for the kill kind of situation so it was it was terrifying and we found out later after the conservation was notified of this injured bear um, they had to go back in with the wildlife monitor and look for the bear and and see see if it was okay or, or decide whether or not it, it should be put down. And they what they found was just some blood, um, but it otherwise looked like the bear the bears had run off. And so they decided to leave it. But out of that investigation, we found out that there was a local guide outfitter in the area who was taking tourists in to this particular region, which is really close to the grizzly bear the Kutsumatin grizzly bear sanctuary. Oh yeah, the conservant, the conservation area. Yeah, we were really close to there. So there's like grizzly bears everywhere. And this guide outfitter was bringing tourists in on a boat. And before he would bring them in, he would sprinkle like rotting fish and other bait down for the bears. So the bears would come out of the bush so their tourists could take pictures. Oh my God. And so when the bears heard helicopter, I guess they just assumed like machine means people. And so they were running at us looking for their food. That is so sad for the bears. Yep. Yeah, it was, it was terrifying, Jenny. I seriously considered not going out in the field again after that. Yeah. Because I wanted to be able to to come home to my family. I didn't want to be like a story in the newspaper of yeah. this crew that got eaten by grizzly bears. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed that story for a number of reasons. The biggest reason is I've never heard you swear so much in my entire <laughs> life. So. Sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. I know you had the big feelings. <laughs> Well, I was just, I was just repeating what I remember from, because there was a lot of swearing that day, not just the bear monitor. Of course course there, of course there was. Why wouldn't there be? I also remembered one I'll do really quickly is I was with two other former staff members. We were near Prince George, just bears. I forgot about this one and we were working and then we heard a bear like just crashing on the other side of like Salal. Yeah. And I was immediately like, we are out of here. Like, we're not, we're not sticking around, but of course you can't just run out of the area. So we were like backing out carefully and hitting trees with our shovels as we went to make noise and like yelling. And the bear was following us, knocking over saplings. So we, it was like, it was like an episode of Lost where you can just see the bushes moving and then like a tree comes down and then you walk for another couple of minutes and you're like, okay, I don't think it's following us anymore. And then another tree comes down and you're like, there's a giant bear stalking us all the way to the truck. And then because I was hitting the trees so hard with my shovel, cause I was petrified. 
I ended up developing a ganglion cyst in my hand. And then I went to the doctor and he was a really old school doctor. They don't do this anymore. And he's like, oh yeah, ganglion cyst. Yeah, I can get rid of that. Do you want the book? Do you want the book version or do you want the syringe version? And I was like, what's the book version? And he's like, you put your hand out and I smash it with my big textbook and pop the cysts in your hand. And I was like, oh. I was like, I don't, I don't like that one. I want the other one. And so he's like, okay. And he took a big syringe full of saline, put it into the cyst in my hand and pushed, like overextended the cyst so it exploded inside my hand. And it was excruciating pain for like that nanosecond before it exploded. Exploded. I know someone else who had a ganglion cyst in their hand and went to the doctor and said, oh, I know someone had one of these and the doctor syringed it out. And their doctor said, oh no, that is definitely not what you do with these at all. We're going to have to surgically <laughs> remove it. But anyway, there you go. Um, I'm making a gross face over here. You can't see it, but I'm like, oh. No, it's so gross. Disgusting. Oh, so disgusting. Um... Do any of these like adventures, have they taught you anything about yourself? Yeah, I think that like particularly the, the bear encounters that I've had and, and the bear training that we've taken over the years, I think it, it was all preparing me for that day last year when I had the black bear come onto my property. Oh, yeah. So not, a, not a work story, but also a near-death experience where I had to face my fears and go up against a black bear. That was on your and donkey's back. He was trying to, to eat my donkey and I had an air horn. So I was trying to like scare him off the air horn. That wasn't working. And I, I had my bear spray and my bear hands and that was it. Wait, you had bear was... hands? That's amazing. <laughs> not not that kind of bare hands but I mean I just felt so powerless against this this beast that was you know he was just trying to eat my donkey for a snack but I had to overcome my fears and go go right up to him like I was like literally um two feet from him and sprayed him in the face and I and I had to go through two cans of bear spray. I had to run back to the house and find another can because I opened the whole can on his face. And then he, he left the donkey, let go, but then he came back and he was on him again. And I had like, this went on over the course of a couple of hours. I had my mom on the, on the porch listening to me screaming and not like she felt powerless. There was nothing she could do. And uh, we were on the phone trying to call conservation all morning, but they were busy because there was a lot of um, bear human conflicts last year. And um, yeah, fortunately, I was just lucky and the bear was scared enough of the bear spray or, or worked. And, and I had um, my neighbor come over with his dog and he helped the the dog uh, barked at the bear and started chasing it around. And uh, after that day, um, I called up our friend, Fred Seiler, who does bear awareness training for us. And I told him my bear story. And he said, you're crazy woman. Like you shouldn't have done that. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But like I had, I wasn't going to let that bear eat my donkey. 
but we then set up another bear uh, a bear training course for the the staff the terrace crew and we had a, a really excellent course with Fred where we went out to a gravel pit and he taught us um, how to properly use the spray and how to utilize it if the wind is blowing then you use the wind to your advantage um, by when you when you spray you need to know which direction the wind is blowing because you don't want the spray to just blow back into your face mm-hmm. so you have to position yourself in the right the right place and then um yeah just get comfortable using the bear spray and I think that everyone should do that at least once a year practice because you you just never know the bears are out there yeah they and they are. could eat, they could eat you mm-hmm. wow so in some <laughs> I think you were, <laughs> I think you were just surprised to discover you can take on a bear with your bare hands. Yeah. And, wow. I, I find that looking back on these things, I mean, we're laughing about it now, which I think is a healthy response. I'm sure there's a psychologist being like, oh yeah, that's stage six of 13. That's completely normal. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing how, um, you know, tough as nails we can be when we have to be. And it's nice to it's nice to have that backup plan that we can do this stuff if we need to, or we can lead our team safely out of the bush if need be. Safely down the side of a mountain. Safely down the side of a mountain, gripping the trees with our giant furry hands, our bare hands. (laughs) (laughs) And also great if we don't, you know, have an impromptu meeting with the Israeli defense force would be great. (laughs) Oh, this has been fun. <laughs> it's, I learned so much more about you. <laughs> I learned so much more about you as well. And I'm glad that you're still alive. Same. You're still with us. And I think we should do this again. Maybe we could, um, once our listeners listen to our stories, they, they, I'm sure there's a lot of near-death uh, archaeology experiences out there. Um, oh yeah I want to hear them yeah if if people want to share um, they can email us or um, if they're interested we could have them on the show as a guest we could do this again and I know that other folks are working for firms that might have more red tape than Clanza does and you're not allowed to talk about this time you almost died in this project you can tell us you can submit it anonymously we won't tell anyone who you are we understand non-disclosure agreements (laughs) 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 um and also amanda a donkey why did you have a donkey i'm just i'm just i know why you have a donkey but other people might be like i'm sorry i'm just gonna rewind real quick did she say donkey doesn't everyone have a donkey um i don't know i I remember when i called in for counseling after that bear incident I, i had to get some over the phone counseling for for a few days and I was explaining to the the lady on the phone uh, the story, and she had to go. Wait, back up. What donkey? And you said yes. You heard me. I said a donkey, a miniature donkey. He's great. Uh, his name's Pedro. Everyone should have a donkey. And, and just so you know, he did survive. Yeah, he lived to tell the tale in his own podcast. He has a scar on his back about the size of the the palm of your hand um that he'll have uh for the rest of his life to tell other his donkey and horse friends about what happened 
the head of the party, the head of the farm. Yeah. <sighs> we'll bring him to the next cocktail party for sure. <laughs> we have been known to bring animals inside the house for parties. <laughs> and so you see this, this podcast has, has tales for everyone, archeologists, people who care about making the world better, people who like animals, you want to have a petting farm. It's got it. It's got it all. Like we said in the beginning, we try our best to work as safely as possible. And we, you know, we wear the appropriate PPE. We go over the tasks that we're doing each day in our morning tailgate meetings. And we try to prevent accidents from happening. And I think everyone's doing, doing their best. And so, um, Maybe there, there'll be less and less near-death stories <laughs> going forward. But you yeah. never know what, what's going to happen. It's always an adventure. Always an adventure. Thanks, Jenny. That was really fun. Super fun. I laughed my pants off. <laughs> Thanks for sharing your stories. Welcome anytime. Hey, bye for now. Hey folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Dig This. If you have any questions or there's something you'd like us to dig into, reach out online. You can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dig This Pod. If you dig us, leave us a review and tune in next week for a new episode. <laughs>